It's episode 53 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and with me are Ryan Topp and J.P. Breen. And hey, guys, it's good to be back. Did you miss me? Always. Sure. <laughs> sure. I enjoy that you forced uh, J.P. to do uh, the, the hosting gig when I'm gone. Oh, oh yeah. Was, well, part of that was I was driving around, and like I had to drive an hour to get to Paul's place. So, like... I know, also, but you force him to ask the questions and give the good answers. Ah, uh, yeah, that's where that was going. I was going to say he does. He is very nice to be able to uh, produce everything, do all the background work. So it's not a big deal for to have me do some some uh, lifting on this side. As well. I mean, in fairness, my wife does a lot of the <laughs> the editing. So she does the heavy lifting around the house. <laughs> There's there's the editing and that I don't really do much with. Exactly. So, well, it is good to be back and we do appreciate Paul Noonan for filling in cuz that was awesome. He does a great job when he sit in with us. Right? Yes. Yes, we yes. enjoy it and we're always glad to have him on. So, uh you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash tailgate. Our ball and glove level patrons receive the monthly Minor League Extra podcast. And that one just came out, right? It did. And how'd it go? Well, uh, we got John Perrin uh, traded, so it wasn't it wasn't the best thing in the world. Yeah, so that Keston Hira interview is going to make everybody nervous, right? Yeah, we already yeah. made that joke, though. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. You got that one in? See, I haven't listened to that one yet. I listened to the regular podcast. I, I was going to say, well, actually, a bunch of uh, a bunch of listeners immediately <laughs> tweeted us afterwards and said, do not do it. Yeah. <laughs> do not. No. Do not do that one. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll just stick to, like, coaches or something from now on. Yeah, people would be really disappointed if like Ed Cedar. <laughs> we're we're only going to interview hitting coaches from from this point <laughs> we, forward. We need to get we need to get like Angel Hernandez on, on the pod, to get, like a few umpires, like Joe West. Oh, we need to make sure we can, we can get Joe West. Joe in. We West. Can get CB, we can get CB Buckner in. I mean, th- those honestly, guys will survive anything. Bruce Fremming lives like a mile from where we're at right now. I'm almost positive he lives in New Berlin, but he he would have no idea what we're talking about doing. We'd be like, hey, do you, Bruce, do you want to be on a podcast? I mean, he knows baseball. He knows baseball, but I'm sure if you say you listen to it on your phone or something like that, he'd be like, get out of here. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant you didn't know. What, <laughs> thought you meant he, he wouldn't realize that we were trying to get whoever it was fired. Yeah. <laughs> well, effectively, Wild had uh, was Dale Scott, recently retired Dale Scott on on. Well, if he's recently ago. retired, there's no point. Can't get anyone fired. Yeah, you can't get fired retired. from being retired. Well, Bruce Fremming's been retired yet. for like seven, eight years. I'm, I'm sure maybe someday <laughs> I'm we can get fired from being retired, but not yet. <laughs> Back to work. So. I was going to say, maybe that's what death is. Yeah, I don't exactly. know. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay. is, that too, is that too dark for a Sunday we just, Yeah, Sorry. we just went real dark. So, uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. From Dragon Flute to Block Party to Fantasy Factory IPA, K4 specializes in English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. Out now is Carbon 4's Oak ta- Oak? Oktober. October, yes. October. Green yeah. had trouble with that last week, too, I think. It, well, you see it. You want to say October. It is Oktober. Because it's I, did, I didn't uh, have trouble with anything to be fair. No, actually, he did all right with it, so it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, 
This ale is fermented at near lager temperatures and is an attempt to capture magic in a glass. Soft toffee notes are wrapped in a blanket of flavors of fresh baked bread. The whole experience is accented with a pleasant and subtle woodsy experience provided by a whiskey-soaked blend of French and American oak. Hence, the oak in October. Right? Yes. You, we, you know, it, it wasn't just a play on words. No. Well, the funny thing is, Ryan looks at me for the reaction. It's like this is an audio medium, so you have to say something. <laughs> I'm I'm holding the bottle of what we're actually drinking right now, which is Fantasy Factory, but it's yeah, that's a different one. That's the Funk Factory. Yes, we are drinking the Funk Factory. Yeah, bringing the funk. We have the funk this week. Um, on October 24th, Carbon 4 is re-releasing Night Call Smoked Porter. There's a subtle smoke profile to go along with the dark chocolate and roasted coffee flavors. Great for drinking next to a fire pit on a cool summer evening. And Fantasy Factory IPA is now in cans, just in time to grab a six-pack and tailgate while the brewers are making the push for the playoffs. You can find it at, a, at the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard or at your local retailer. As always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon4, beer brilliance. Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre 3 and MixPre 6. For more information, visit SoundDevices.com. Hey, guys, we got updates on the Prop Bet contest. Are we doing that now? I figure we'll do it right off the top. All right. Because everybody's kind of down on the team right now, aren't they? Well, I mean, they won on uh, on Saturday night. One win isn't enough. Well, we we need tied in the uh, early going here. Yeah, we need we need more wins, and so we'll kind of let the game get going a little bit, so we have a little bit more marinate. To talk about. Yeah, can't let have it, a winning streak with just one win. Yeah, exactly. We'll let the game stew a little bit before uh, ladling it out for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> Oh, that is a tortured metaphor. All right. <laughs> um, okay. So we have an update on the prop bets, and we want to thank uh, Andy Schaff and uh, Kyle Ashour, who is our technical person for. Uh, yeah, he helped Andy out with uh, figuring out how to do some. How to use a spreadsheet. Yeah. yeah. Because nobody likes spreadsheets, but apparently Kyle's a big nerd. <laughs> yeah, that's going to get you unblocked. <laughs> I was going gonna to say, we have this situation in which all three of us have talked about like baseball for an hour and a half each week and then ryan and i do like a two-hour deep dive on the minors but kyle's the one who's a nerd (laughs) not 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 us wait i i have my spreadsheet formulas i must use so we could have gotten my brother if i had seen that earlier i would have just said hey travis will know how to do this well i think he entered it so we don't want a degenerate gambler uh, having <laughs> access <laughs> you're just you're just cutting a wide swath today of the listenership steve yeah well he's a cubs fan i'm not worried about losing that one plus i think he'll drink no matter what so i don't think we'll lose that either um Okay, so right now we have a four-way tie at the top of the standings. Uh, we have Jack Hesse, we have Emily, who is on Twitter, Adam Capel, and Will Bussey. There are four first place. Uh, they're currently in first place. That's impressive. That we have four? A four-way tie, a four-way tie up top? That's yeah. good. Yeah, no, it's it looks like uh, it's all really tight. And then in second place, we have Tim Young. We have uh, Justin Klein, so we have another degenerate gambler. Right? Yeah, more of a, uh, a fantasy 
it's all same gambling. Thing. Yeah, same fantasy. Thing. Same yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Mergen, uh, Jason Cherney, uh, Joe Kinney, and then we have Tim Brown and Will Clairbout. So John Kinney. Yeah. Okay. Who's in last? Just a shout out for who's in last place. I hope it's I hope it's like one of us. Jake Liebham. Jake is in oh, last. Man. Yeah. So getting it done. Don't it's worry. Good. We have a lot of categories still to be uh, determined. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. I wanted to know who was last so we can see how much Jake really climbs in the last, you know, couple of months here. Exactly, right. I mean, you know, your margin for error might be a little bit lower since we have a bunch of stuff that's already determined, but, you know, hey, you can still climb that ladder. So, uh, Absolutely. I am currently in 179th place. I lead the three of us. Ryan is in 211th. I think we have, what, 250? We got around 250 entries. Something like that, yeah. And JP, what place are you in? So, uh, funny story. Um, I didn't uh, do the work to put myself in the spreadsheet, so I don't have any idea. You're not on. Uh, you're you're not on the spreadsheet, but you can go back and we can hear all your answers and and right. put you and in retroactively. Some, and somebody uh, named you know me said I was going to do that before this week, um, but I didn't. So. Um, but I can tell you about a whole lot of books I've read this week. So if you do want to talk about religious nativism and, and things in the United States, I've got that in my back pocket if you want to hear some stories. Yeah, so the following prop bets are pretty much locked, <laughs> barring some major change. We're, we're going we're gonna to move on past JP's reading list because that'll make <laughs> us all cry a little bit. Okay, uh, so right now we had uh, players with four-plus uh, win. Over-under was set at one-and-a-half. Lorenzo Kane currently is at 4.1. Kristen Yelich is at 3.7. So unless something horrible happens, right. uh, it looks like the Brewers are going to have at least two players right now with uh, four war on the season. Are we surprised by that? I think I picked it, so. Pick the over. I have, I'd pick the over, I think. I think I picked the over, too. But I also remember distinctively like going last and picking things that were opposite of what you two picked on purpose. So I don't actually remember what I picked. I know. Some, I, of, some of the things I picked were like serious, and some of them I felt like I just wanted to be able to to make up some ground on on you guys because i didn't want to tie i know so I, I, don't I also really remember i picked a lot to disagree with ryan which is probably why i'm ahead of him right now i also <laughs> i also remember that i picked zach davies to be the pitcher of the year so we're at a real good start hey it looked good coming into the season so okay we had pitcher home runs i said no yeah, oh, it was I, said, basically, I said yes. It was, will there be yes. a pitcher home run, yes or no? And Suter took care of it pretty early. Suter did it early, and then Brandon Woodruff. Yes, and I picked Brandon Woodruff, by the way. You did. On the podcast. You did. But so he wasn't first. He was so. not first. Yeah. But you were close. That That's a pretty good call. Yeah. I'll, and it's I'll not like it's not like Woodruff has gotten a ton of innings, so he hasn't had like a lot of opportunity as a starting pitcher to hit home right. runs. Yeah. So... Brandon Woodruff, he hits dingers, so let's keep that in mind. Uh, sack bunts by position players. It was set at 14 and a half on the season. I think I took the over. Yeah, I, I'm sure I took the under. I'm not, I have no idea what I took. I'm almost positive that Ryan took the under because I'm pretty sure I remember in the first couple of weeks I was like really invested in position players bunting. JP, are you surprised at where we're at this season? I don't even know what we're at. We're, we're at, at three. We're at three. We've had three on the season so far. So with, really? with what, six weeks to play? Yeah, th this is basically over. Yeah. Okay. There, yeah. There's so no the, way at this point. I'm very, I'm very surprised by this. I can't remember. I think I probably went. I think I went over on it. 
Something about the construction of the lineup, I, I thought it would go over. If you would have asked me how many position player bunts we've had, I would have said like near 10. I'm shocked that it's that low. It is three. So uh, we had Braun uh, starts at first base. That was set at 23 and a half. Uh, I took the over on that. That wasn't a good choice by me. I think I took the over there too. I th- we probably all took the over. And uh, right now he's at 12. And we have both Thames and Aguilar are healthy. So it seems it's some, unlikely. Some bad stuff would have to happen. Put it that way. It's it's unlikely. It could still happen depending on injuries or something like that. I, if they get into a different rotation, I think with or who's starting if where. Braun just becomes really really hot, like, let's say we could like you know get a little bit more Aguilar at third base action. And then- <laughs> I think we should start a brick wall over at third base. Just hit it here. See if you can get it past. It's not going to happen. So, uh, a sad one. We had uh, Jimmy Nelson starts set at ten and a half. Yeah, I think I, I took the over. I want to say I took the under. I've been pessimistic about that the whole time. I took the under just because I kind of did the math and said he would have had to have been starting for like the rest of the season, basically post All Star break. And I said that was going to be pushing it. Yeah, because I, I think even at the time they were still kind of saying optimistic he could be back in july you know more likely would be august and august made a a pretty tight window to get in ten and a half so that didn't happen yeah so uh finally we had nick franklin at bats and matt elber saves uh they were both set at i guess over under yeah over under uh one half yeah so and we we had both of those monumental events happened so we got a matt i think both of them happened pretty early too it yeah we got an Elber save in like late April. Yeah, I, I took the over on that one. I think I took the under on Nick Franklin, which should have known. Yeah, I think I took the under on both. So, Ryan, do you, do you recall? I don't recall. Whatever it was, you probably picked wrong since you're in 211th place. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> Okay, so uh, a couple of prop bets to watch going forward. Uh, the home run leader, um, Aguilar has 28, Shaw has 23. 61% of people picked Travis Shaw as the home run leader on the season. One person picked uh, Jesus Aguilar. Nice. So that, that'll that be an interesting one. Yeah, we should get that person on the podcast. They know more than we do. I guess, yeah. They had some kind of inside info on that. Um, and, yeah, I mean... I think that one's still going to be close. Mm-hmm. Shaw's getting enough playing time that I think, you know, he gets on a hot streak. He could fly past Aguilar at any moment. Right. But we've also seen seen Jesus go on quite the run. So who knows at this point? Kristen uh, Yelich will have six more home runs than Lewis Brinson. This one I remember taking the over on. And you guys didn't. You mocked me. Yeah, I it. think I took I took Brinson because I figured that he was going to get a long look regardless of what was going on, and just his raw power was going to. And be I enough. didn't expect you know Lewis Brinson to be injured for like two months. Yeah, well, he was terrible before being injured. Until he played the Brewers, he had a tough time hitting a home run. I'd say I still think he has a push in double digit homers. Before he got injured, they were close. Yeah, like they were riding pretty close, and since it was Yelich had to hit six more home runs in Brinson, yeah, it was looking all right. But Brinson's production was so poor that even when they were close home run wise, it always felt like at any moment they could send him down, right? Yeah. Just because yeah. he needed the help. So yeah, then he got injured, and then it was just it was a tough, obviously a tough situation for him and in, in general. Yeah. 
Um, okay, more saves. Corey Knable or any other relief pitcher. Knable has a 14-9 to lead over Josh Hader right now. Really? Nice. And yeah. Council claims he's not going to just stick Hader in the ninth inning. He did pitch the eighth and ninth on Saturday, but... But that's what he was doing before when Knable was hurt, right? I mean, yeah. he kind of wants to get back to that flexible bullpen that they were having in, in April and early May. That was actually, you know, it was, I think it was the second most effective bullpen. I think it was behind the, the Diamondbacks. Yeah, I mean, that's when that happened to happen, I guess you could say. So, yeah, uh, we're going to circle back around to Knable. Um, yep. But we have uh, wins set at 84 and a half in the playoffs, yes or no. Ryan had the interesting take on this one. This one I remember. Well, yeah, because I tried to thread the needle. And, I mean, God, it looks like I might have actually thread the needle. The way that the competition for that the wild card spots in the NL is going to be, they look like they're on pace to win something in the mid to high 80s, potentially. Is that what they're on pace for right now? I thought they were There'd around, be a little they're bit around more, 90, aren't they? But if they, can, if they continue to play the way they have been, they would be more in the high 80s. But. Okay. If they go, if they are, uh, they've been a, and I t- tweeted this before, but they've been a 500 team. I don't know if this is actually the case anymore since I've, you know, done the math um, because I haven't done it all week. But um, earlier this week, they were 500 in every single month if you didn't count May and then their three game series in, in March. And so if they had just gone 500 the rest of the season, ever, you know, if they go 500 aside from May and the Padres season in, uh, or the, the Padres series in March, they hit uh, 89 wins. Okay, yeah, which would be right in the conversation for a wild card spot, but yeah, I, was, I, I mean, it, it all depends on what, you know, there's so many teams right now. You have the Phillies, whoever loses out between the Diamondbacks and the... Uh, um, well, I mean, and also and the Dodgers, the, you know, currently series against the Braves, the Brewers had a cushion between themselves as the top wild card team and the Braves as the next one. And that's gone away somewhat with the a, up and a down. little bit i mean they're up by like a, two games i think after the, the win on saturday okay so okay. i mean depending on what happens you know they still have a bit of a cushion they're the they're the first wild card team you know it's not like they're tied right now and i want to say after the braves it's another like couple games but there so i looked back ever since the second wild card and only two seasons have you needed more than 89 wins to be able to to make the wild card um, which a couple of times it was like well into the 90s, kind of depending on on the situation. So there's a little bit more uh, competition in it, but just kind of going historically, if if they hit 89 wins, they'll probably make the wild card. Uh, if not, they're going to be in it with the last couple of days for sure. Well, sure. and they're they're going to be a lot of mid 80 win teams in the in the NL this season. Yes. It's not top yep. heavy like the AL is. Because I, I think the uh Red Sox, they already have like ninety wins. The Red Sox yes. are unbelievable. I mean I, they're they don't have ninety wins, but yeah, I mean they're, they're it was something doing, I was really surprised when I said hold on a second, I'll look it up. I saw I, their win total this morning. I was like, You gotta be kidding me. They're, they're not gonna they they could like win two thirds of those games and have like hundred and twenty five wins at that rate. Sorry, they're they're at eighty four wins. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um, the Red Sox. Hold on, they're did, at 84 wins, and the leader right now in the NL is at 67. And I I'm that, just saying, like, there's a big well, difference. It's, it's because there are crap teams in the AL, and there aren't 
really I mean there's the Padres and the Marlins are not good teams but they're not nearly as bad as the oh. Orioles or the Royals you know so yeah like their best efforts so uh, we have longest home run in the season uh, was set at 467 and a half feet 476 or four yeah 476 and a half and right now Thames is the longest with 466 yeah so I mean all it takes is one really good shot and they have some guys who can who can really you know when they barrel the ball they can send it a long ways but yeah. that one can be anytime sure there, there's no like it's a better chance earlier versus later so what I took but if I took the over and I don't win I'm going to be a stat cast truther <laughs> there you go um and then we have uh Cubs games with over 40,000 fans attending was set at 14 and a half uh they're currently at eight so they're but, gonna, uh, they're gonna go that. past that yeah because how many games do they have left I don't know. From what I've heard, Cubs fans are the only ones who show up. They so are. It, they are the only ones who. Sh- that's the only reason anybody attends games at Miller Park, apparently. Right. Yes. The Cubs. The Cub bounce. The infamous Cub bounce. Yeah. yeah. So, really, if Cubs fans are just showing up to that many Brewers games, whether or not the Cubs are there, they should just say that they're Brewers fans. Exactly. Well, or we'll we'll take their money. So, um, and then finally, we have innings pitch. Josh Hader or the fifth starter right now. Hader has fifty six innings pitched. Freddie Peralta is at 54. So how are we feeling about that one? Does that count as fifth starter? Like the, he has the fifth, the most- fifth, the, the starter with the fifth most innings is what we define as fifth starter. Okay. I don't feel great about that. Okay. Ryan. I think that hater is hater has a shot. Yeah. I think hater does have a shot and I think I picked hater. Okay. Yeah. I forget what I picked. I'm going to say I probably Pick the fifth starter. So, but it's interesting that it's Freddie Peralta because uh, Freddie's had a rough go of it lately. Yeah. Are we moving on? We Is are. That the... That's my transition to okay. move on to Freddie Peralta talk. Yeah. I mean, he has been, we've seen the command issues now crop up in a few starts in a row. And that's, it's all part of what we knew we were getting with Freddie Peralta. That's not a surprise. We knew that there were going to be times when that happened. Uh, I know Hottercourt did point out that. This was the second time he has been seen by a team multiple times. So the Braves saw him once already, and this was the second time. The other one was Colorado. Remember, the first time he faced Colorado, he absolutely destroyed them and embarrassed them. And that was in Colorado. It was in Colorado, yeah. I mean, that was a really, really amazing jaw-dropping start. And then the start after that against them was not nearly so good. So that's something that bears watching. If teams have... I, I think the book is out on him somewhat now that you really don't want to swing until you have to. Uh, granted, if you do that and he is getting ahead in counts, then you're pretty well screwed because if he's got you down 0-2 or 1-2, you're going to end up striking out most of the time. You know, that's, that's going to be a bad outcome most of the time if you're a hitter. But the chances of him getting there right now, the way he's throwing the ball are somewhat slim yeah well we talked about uh in his first couple of starts and trying to talk about what you know freddie peralta was bringing in we were talking about how much kind of you know juice he was bringing the the starting rotation and how he was like the one guy that you really wanted to go see pitch every fifth day and how much excitement he was bringing but one of the big surprising things about him is that his percentage of pitches in the zone were actually like well above the league average and so i understand 
And there's a lot of value to the idea that teams, as they do see him multiple times, are going to be able to adjust their their um, you know approach to him. And I don't know how much that matters because basically he's just going to throw you a lot of fastballs. So that's kind of what he's going to do. Well, regardless if you it, not. it's fastballs with different movement on it, though, correct? Oh, so certainly, certainly, but it's not it's fastballs with different movements so whether or not you see him once or twice you still don't really know what kind of movement's going to be on his fastball and what we've seen is his percentage of pitches in the zone has just crumbled um i mean he's he's not hitting the zone but if you look back at his minor league numbers this is par for the course i mean he's at uh, i think it's 14% walk rate right now and every single year in the minors in which he's actually had uh, a high number of innings at any single spot it's been at least 11 percent walk rate and so this is largely what you get with freddie peralta we knew this and it's one of the big reasons why people talked about him being in the bullpen because they weren't sure if he could throw enough strikes uh to be able to be effective and the brewers are going to be committed to him and rightfully so i think any time and this is something that ryan's talked about as well is that you have to deal with the fact that they're going to be growing pains for young pitchers and you just have to be able to ride that out. Um, you can't expect him to take a linear path and just get better every single time he hit, takes the mound. And so you're going to have to deal with the fact that yes, he is going to have some, some rough spots and you have to ride it out to see if he can adjust. And that's all part of this whole thing they're trying to do, which is to both build from within while competing. You're going to have to accept if that's the is model there a name for that. Huh? Is there a name for that? Oh yeah. Uh, Oh, I, it's Nick. What is it? Counterbuilding. Counterbuilding, yes. Alter bridging. Alter bridging, yes. Um, no, so, uh, yeah, you're, you're going to have to accept a certain amount of those rough patches. Like, that's a thing that is going to be a problem that has to be dealt with. Um, can you deal really with it when you're trying to compete? It. I mean, I think you can, yes, you have to, to a certain extent. I think you can, down the stretch of, playoff runs you can start shading away if they decided right now but right now you're still freddie peralta stays in the rotation i'm not ready to have him out yet no question the question is not whether or not you can deal with rough patches it's about what the alternative is right i mean sure. if you if you take freddie peralta out who's your alternative is it brandon woodruff is it aaron wilkerson it, it, hopefully it'd be zach davies well people I, are waiting well for yeah davies is on like his way back be able to get to the spot in which they can actually make the transition and get Zach Davies back. And I would not, if they were to decide right now that Brandon Woodruff is going to be their guy to take over that spot for the next start, I wouldn't have any complaint about that. I don't know that I would do it, but I'm also not, I don't think it would be in any way unreasonable. Well, to has do Woodruff that. earned his shot? I mean, he's pitched well in the minors still. Right, and pitching, dealing with Colorado Springs. Yeah, and aside easy. from some really poor early appearances. He had one. He like, had his, hit really, his. you look at his season, if you take that Colorado start out, the rest of it is absolutely fine. Yes. Like, we're talking like low twos, two ERA here. And, I mean, it's odd because he's had spot starts and he really, weird, weird appearances from the bullpen where, you know, he's covered multiple innings, but it's very spotty. When he admitted that his first run through of being in the bullpen was tough for him because he had never really done it and was trying to adjust to, you know, what that means. Like being ready to come in at kind of a moment's notice and, 
you know, he, he hadn't done that before. He'd always been on the starter schedule. So yeah. he had to figure out how that even works. Yes. And that's understandable that a guy would have to adjust to that. I think, so number one, uh, you know, he also hits homers. So that's important to remember if you're trying to lengthen the lineup. Hit dingers. Somebody who's going to be able to do it. Uh, but the, the other thing to remember is we are just a couple of weeks away before rosters expand, right? And so you could still have a situation in which you still trot out Freddie Peralta, but is you are going to be willing to to basically pull him out and you're going to have multiple guys who can give you length in the bullpen to be able to say, you know, Freddie Peralta, if he's on, is one of the five best pitchers in the organization, right? Like to be able to start. I don't is think Peralta that- better than Woodruff or at least is his ceiling higher than Woodruff? Yeah, I think so. I, if he's throwing strikes, I think he is going to be the more dynamic pitcher. But I think that he has a lot more volatility just because of his command issues. And so if he gets in a spot of trouble in the first inning, which we've seen multiple times this year, sometimes he can kind of come back from it and he's able to get through five or six innings and still only give up you know, three runs, which we've seen in the past where he's even thrown 30 to 40 pitches in the first inning and he can still turn it around. But sometimes he can't. And so if you have a situation in which he can't do it, you're going to have so many guys in the bullpen that can come in and be able to provide you the length that you don't have to worry about sacrificing your bullpen to be able to try to get this guy through five innings. I was going to point out, too, that is a little bit of a problem with Peralta in terms of trying to use him in the bullpen is that he does tend to struggle to settle down. Like coming into games, he has had first inning issues. And that's been sort of a consistent thing with him where he will come in, throw a lot of pitches early, give up some runs, and then maybe shut it down from there on out. Like that's been a, a consistent theme with him. That doesn't play real well in the bullpen. You know, that's, that's a pretty tough thing because usually if you come in and give up runs right away, they're not going to let you continue. So that, that might not be the best role for him. If he has to – I think that for him it's – either starting in the big leagues or starting in the minors. I don't know the bullpen. I mean, they might even be able to get creative and try to, with how many starters basically they're going to have in the bullpen starting in September, they could try to do a piggyback system to be able to actually save guys like, like Hader and whatnot. If they want to try to go four innings with Peralta and four innings with, with somebody like Woodruff. I mean, that could be something that they try to do. Sure. Or Hauser or yeah, any number of guys. Um, Okay. So JP, I don't know if I'm kind of springing this on you. Um, but if you want to comment on this, I was just looking. Uh, Peralta currently has a 447 ERA. His FIP is at 361, but his DRA is at 520. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you think that says about both his production and maybe what those stats are? Because I know a lot of people look to FIP first since it's a little bit more readily available. Peralta's mm-hmm. a big strikeout guy, which FIP likes. Yeah, I mean, those are the kind of things that that FIP really uh, struggles to measure, I suppose. Guys who don't, who can give up uh, a lot of runs in bunches because of command issues, right? And basically, FIP, what it tries to do is isolate a lot of different, you know, whether it's strikeout rate, walk rate, ground ball rate, basically things like that, and say, there you go, if you average it out, this should be his production over the course of the year where DRA is going to actually put those numbers into context to try to give you a better idea of some walks matter more in certain situations. Same thing with hits. And it tries to actually bring context into the, uh, into the formula and 
this is something people can go look at at baseball prospectus again and again i'm sure if they actually want to um you know they can message jonathan judge about it but if you look at trying to gauge future performance uh and what is the most accurate it's dra and every single measure in which you try to run regression analysis to try to look at it it's dra in its context that's built into the system is always going to outperform what FIP does. Um, and we've kind of gotten used to that. I mean, that was the whole thing about even Chase Anderson is somewhat like this, but we talked about with Matt Kane a lot that there are guys that just outperform their FIP regularly. And we knew kind of what those profiles were. Um, there are also guys that don't outperform their FIP because of the kind of type, the, the types of pitchers they are. And guys with really high walk rates are guys that tend to not, uh, outperform their FIP. Um, and so you should look to DRA, I think, you know, when possible, just because it's going to be able to give you a more accurate outlook of what's going on. And uh, without getting too far into it, because I'm not intelligent enough to be able to explain it, but the fact that it tries to build context into the situation to understand what is at stake for the various pitches, it gives you a more accurate representation of what the actual pitcher performance should have been. Uh, does that give you pause about Peralta going forward? And again, I mean, I think we've talked about it before, but uh, DRA is runs allowed versus based against runs allowed as opposed to ERA. So it's always going to be a bit higher, but if there's a 447 ERA versus the, the 520 DRA, I guess is there there's more room for Peralta to fall a little bit, isn't there? Yes, if things keep happening in the way that they have been, right? And that's why it's so difficult to figure out because if he does go through a stretch in which the command is good, he's a three ERA guy, right? And we've seen that. And even in this tough stretch where he has had some some rough goes, he's had a couple of good outings. Um, it doesn't give me pause because this is kind of... Um, the risk of Peralta that we've known since the beginning. And it's, and that's why I said like, it, it could be a situation in which you try to see what Freddie Peralta you have on a given day and be able to say, we're going to, we're going to look in a different spot because he's a little bit like Fran, uh, Francisco Liriano in which when Francisco Liriano is throw, is, is throwing strikes, you know, when he was on, there were not many better pitchers that you wanted other than he's obviously doesn't have the slider that, that Liriano had. I'm not saying that they're comparable pitchers, but just the idea of just kind of high volatility based on start to start. If you can get a run for Freddie Peralta, it's good. Um, you know, and again, I think next year, I wouldn't be surprised if Corbin Burns is the one that takes a step ahead of him because Corbin Burns, I think is much more ready for a starting pitching uh, spot than, than somebody like Peralta in terms of consistency. I'm good with that. <laughs> you want to see Burns next season? Well, I mean, yeah. Open I'm, to the opportunity for Burns. Yeah. It, well, and I'd Burns, like to see Burns as a starter sooner than that. Yeah. And Burns was, you know, the guy who was more well thought of coming into the season. So I think long term is oh, not no. a surprise. And the combination I, of stuff. And yeah. arguably, Burns didn't get the call over Peralta because Peralta was already on the 40 man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some other uh, factors there as well. Okay, so uh, we had a rough stretch from Corey Knebel. Yep, pitching out of the closer role this uh, past week, mm -hmm. which Knebel was bad, but the ultimate damage was when Soria gave up that uh, grand slam. 
on what was that Thursday or Friday? That would be a three-run shot from Jesus Aguilar. Too. Hey, there we go. The there we go. Hey, look at that. We're up to twenty-seven home runs, twenty-seven dingers for yeah. uh, Aguilar there. So um, hit dingers. Yeah, hit hit dingers. Um, uh, I mean, so there's been a lot of discussion about this, and uh, I would recommend reading what uh, uh, James Langerhair. Did I pronounce that right? I always feel like I pronounced that wrong. Anyway, he wrote something on Brew Crew Ball. About you know, the best way to Canable. pronounce something is to just say it like you know how to do it. Yeah. Well, sorry, James, if I mispronounced that. Um, anyway, I'll look at what James at, at uh, Brew Crew Ball wrote. So, <laughs> James, yeah. Just go. Anyway, uh, Canable's having a very weird oh, season. Oh, by the way, that, that home run did not take the uh, distance lead. No, it did not. <laughs> but, but it was still like 429. Uh, we've already seen from Knable, like it, this is, it's a weird, it, it's a weird mix because if you look at what he's doing this year, uh, the strikeouts are down, the fastball velocity is down, but it's still, these are still really good numbers. I mean, when you're striking out, he currently is at, last year was at 14.92 strikeouts per nine. This year it's 12.62. That's still way, way above average. Uh, his walks are actually slightly down, which shocks a lot of people when you hear that. Um, there's really like one of the main things, one of the most obvious things about his season that he's having right now is that his home run to fly ball ratio, which for his career is 14.2%, is at 30.4%. That screams unsustainable. But I did... I'll let you finish, but okay. I did. I did do some looking at uh, at heat maps on Fangraphs, and there is truth to the idea. If you go look at on his player page on Fangraphs and pull up the heat maps, you will see he is more in the middle of the zone this year uh, than he had been in the past. Uh, The there are some red numbers in the middle. Red uh, indicates over two percent of the pitches in these given areas, and there's. There's some clustering in the middle of the zone. So I think there is some truth to the idea that when he's in the zone, he's more in the center of it. Now, I don't think that's a it's a, not a dramatic difference, I don't think, but it is a difference. So there's some of that going on as well. Well, what's killing me about Corey Knable right now is that every game or two, he's giving up a run. Like literally, he's not going on stretches and then having blow ups. It's he's consistently going out, he's putting guys on, and he's giving up runs. Well, and he's been in the position to give up some games too, like giving well, up the, no, no, okay. the tie game against Colorado. It, but exactly, that's that's the issue. Is I'd rather have a pitcher go on long runs, and then when they finally give up runs, just blow up. Well, he did have a blow up in this last. Well, that one was finally a blow up. But the issue with Knable is that he's constantly putting guys on, and he's constantly giving up runs. Like, regardless of what his other peripheral numbers are, he's just putting guys on base and he's giving teams opportunities to score runs. And when you're pitching late, hold on. When you're pitching late and there are important innings like that where a run or two matters, like, I don't know how you can keep running him out there like that if he's going to give teams opportunities. But is that a sustainable thing? Is Do you see that as something that's likely to continue? JP, what do you think? I mean, is he, he- puts guys on base. He can't locate his curveball. If Corey Knable can't locate his curveball, what good is Corey Knable? JP? I think I understand the argument about his statistics, but the part that gives me 
that makes me more worried about Corey Knebel than a lot of other people that would maybe have the same statistical profile is I know exactly why he struggles, right? I mean, it's not hard. We we see that he struggles to to command his curveball, and even when he struggles to command his curveball, his fastball uh, command's not good. And so, if you're going to pitch high up in the zone with a fastball and it's relatively straight, and the opposing team knows that you have to come in with that fastball, I mean, you're either going to walk or you're going to give up home runs, right? I mean, it's not it's not a difficult situation to figure out why he's he's struggled. But I get the point about his ability to to strike guys out and that actually will give him more of an opportunity to wiggle out of jams than you know guys who can't miss bats but it's it's a situation in which he's he's basically reliant on either his fastball command being great because that's the only pitch that he can come that that he's going to be able to throw strikes for and and he hasn't shown the ability to do that or he's got to be able to throw his curveball for strikes to be able to make up for the fact that his fastball isn't always going to be in the zone. And he can't do that right now. And so it's it's a tough situation for him to see where the path to success comes when, as an opposing pitcher, you basically know what to lock in on. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I I wonder if Corey Knable's command, even last year when he was having a remarkably good season, was not great. We we talked about that on this show. We talked about the fact that Corey Knebel was fantastic early, and then I think real Corey Knebel showed up around the middle of the season, and he was fine from then on out. Right. He had he had a brief stretch where he was awful, but then he was he was fine. Sure. Not fantastic. Not like he was early in the season. But even when, so I'm not going to say like two months of what Corey Knebel did in 2017 means we can somehow expect that kind of a run for a prolonged amount of time. Right, but what I'm saying is what we're seeing right now is not necessarily, just because he's struggling so mightily at the moment, it wasn't that these things that are problems that JP's talking about, and he does clearly have some some location issues, uh, both with curveball and with fastball, but he's that that has always been to a degree true about him. But he because he has some margin to work with because of the stuff. Okay, here's he the thing: can, can he can be an effective can he pitcher? Be, can he be better? Yes. Will he but, consistently be better? I don't think so. Yeah. The question though is: yes, you're exactly right that he did show some of these things last year and was consistently excellent in twenty in 2017. I don't know what year it is. Yeah, last yeah, year. 17. <laughs> And the question, though, is for the exact things that you were talking about in terms of being able to struggle with his his fastball command, not being able to throw curveballs consistently for strikes and all of the things that we've been talking about, name me who is a an elite reliever with that profile. Well, but that's the bar, okay? So you're saying, does he need to be an elite reliever? I'm not saying for him to be an elite reliever. I'm talking about him being an acceptable, you know, relief oh, pitcher so in like you know like a, a seventh inning dude no to... a, a guy who can come in and get out you know certain portions of lineups when uh, games are, are you online. talking about high leverage reliever or no what's that you're talking about high leverage reliever or are you talking about yes that he can be a high leverage reliever even if his command is shaky okay yes but so what are other guys in the big leagues right now that have the same kind of profile in terms of struggling to command multiple pitches and can really hey, only throw oh, one? 
hold on a second. I'm going to butt in here. Okay. So historically for Knebel, his hits per nine, traditionally, he's had 7.9, 8.8. Last year was 5.7. And this year it's back up to 7.1 hits per nine. Right. So I still mean, very good. But you're talking about how he's so unlucky this season. Right. That uh, Yeah, that was actually in the list of things that I, I forgot to mention. But, it, but, yeah. but is he? Hmm? Is he unlucky this season? Well, like the you, fact that balls are flying out of the park at an insane rate, yeah. That's, I mean, he's had a he's had a one point four fortune there. He's had a one point four home run per nine rate in the past. Otherwise, it's usually close to one. Any homers though? No, no, no. Home run per fly ball. He actually sorry. His ground balls. His ground balls have jumped ten percent this year. I know that, but his entire fly ball rate has gone down, which generally means if he is going to give up a ball in the air. Right now, if you're gonna if you're gonna be able to center in on a fastball up in the zone, you're gonna probably he's gonna hit it out. Well, right, that's... he doesn't have he doesn't have a lot of he doesn't have a lot of uh, deception in in his fastball. I mean, like in general, right? You're going to look at infield fly ball rate if you want to be able to say that a guy is going to be able to miss and get away with uh, kind of easy pop flies and that a lot of the the balls that are hit in the air are not going to be uh hit hard right like i mean that gives you a pretty good idea of whether or not guys are able to square up um fastballs and things that are hit in the air uh and a lot of the time that comes with guys with good change-ups you know etc cetera, etc cetera, or guys like freddie peralta who uh are going to have a lot of weak contact from fastballs um court canabel doesn't have that history last year was a little bit better but I mean, 14% is 14%. That's not a huge number. And this year, his infield fly ball rate is uh, 8%. So in general, that means he's of the fly balls he's giving up, only 8% are staying in, in uh, the infield. And so if that's the case, that means almost every single fly ball is at least going into the outfield, which means it's generally having a higher uh, you know, exit velocity, things like that. So... In general, to me, if 90% of the balls, 92% of the fly balls are leaving the infield, I'm maybe not that shocked that 30% of them are going to be leaving the yard. 30 is really high, though. I know that, but He just again, gave his reason for why it would be high like that. But it's... But that's 30 is, but the, there's still degrees. The, there's still degrees. You're making the exact argument to why XFIP doesn't work. Sure. Right? That's fine. XFIP. That's fine. Um, and so... There's, I'm, not say, I'm not saying that I would expect it to not come down. I'm just saying, you know, it, it's not hard to explain why it's so high. Yeah. Um, Tim Young did send me a thing. I, I want to mention this because it supports the point you're making here that, you know, there's some there's some stuff going on here besides uh, just bad luck. That prop bets, right? What's up? Tim Young, I believe, is second in the Yeah, he's in the he's in that group of second. He's in, in the, the group bets. of second. Yeah. Yeah. He he uh, sent me a thing saying that he uh Knable's fastball uh spin rate has dropped from it was 2380 last year to uh 2060 this year so it's down what is that that's well over 10 percent. so that could be a thing too that the pitch itself is not as effective as it was even and beyond losing a little bit, bit of velocity which you can see on fan graphs i i will also say he is uh, somebody who's coming off of a a leg injury 
and it's it's hard to be able to say what that's done to his mechanics in terms of trusting his lower body to be able to go through a lot of these things. And so if he is losing spin rate, if he's losing velocity, questions like that, I mean, there is a question of whether or not he's really able to trust his lower half. I mean, we we talked a lot, and Jimmy Jimmy Nelson is somebody who's talked a lot about either, you know, in past podcasts that, that uh, Ryan and I have done with him, but also just in terms of talking about how he's improved as a brewer he's talked a lot about strengthening his lower half because that gives him the stability to be able to throw strikes and so if Knable is struggling with that that could be a reason to, to kind of point to and say he's not you know completely broken he just might need an offseason to be able to really get healthy that seems plausible yeah yeah um, so anyways speaking of I, lower half should we talk about Soria I I wanted to do that you, transition because I you do a it. great job of stepping all over transitions. So, anyways, yeah, the the Brewers had a uh, uh, a closer in waiting, I guess, in Joaquim Soria. Utterly disgusted by that. By the way, when you did that, his face just had pure disgust when you tried to do that transition. I know he he is hateful. I'm hateful. You you're hateful. <laughs> okay. Anyways, okay, so the Brewers had Joaquim Soria. You know, you've kind of figured if Knable falters, they have a guy to step into the ninth who's had some uh, uh, time there, who has some experience. And uh, Soria comes in on, again, what game was this, Thursday? It was the game that Knable blew up, and then they, yeah, he no, came the out day. with the – oh, it was on Thursday. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, he comes in. Soria is the one who actually gives up the grand slam. So Knable gets uh, stuck with the runs, but Soria is the one that actually gave up the – the long ball on that one. So yeah. um is out. I guess what does this do to the bullpen at this point? Because for a moment we thought there was some length to the bullpen. You had, you know, Knable at least could be solid. And then you had Soria to step in if you actually needed the help. And now you don't you don't really have either that you can trust. I mean and Soria's on the DL. So for 10 Soria days. Soria went on the DL but did not go immediately on the DL. They wanted to see how he was feeling the next day. To me and I have not heard updates. Maybe you guys have. But to me, that indicates that they're not super. This is not a necessarily a long-term issue. This is something that they're they're fairly confident he can come back from quickly. So you think the they're just being cautious and figuring, let's make sure you're healthy for the, the stretch run? I think it's certainly possible. I mean, well, the fact that he didn't instantly go on the DL is good. I mean, we've talked about this in the past, though, right? Like with with relievers, they do tend to want to get them on the DL so you, they can bring in somebody else right away. Sure. Right. I mean, they they are much more willing to, to to put somebody on the DL for a very short amount of time to be able to get another arm in, much uh, as opposed to when they like tried to skate by with only like two bench players and everybody was basically hurt for a week. When you yeah. have Hernan Perez, why do you need bench players? Hernan Perez is a, a bench unto himself. Yes. <laughs> His new position is just bench. <laughs> so uh, we should point out too that, and I tweeted this out this week. His OPS since the All Star break is over one thousand. He's actually really hitting, and has been for a little while now. So we've seen him do all right, and he's, for yeah, stretches. So he deserves to get some action in the lineup, and I think and he's been his getting spot action. now is he gets in against lefties as like the fifth hitter and shortstop. So that's you know. And he, he is perfectly capable of picking it over there. He's not, he does not have the range that Orlando Arcia has. That is because, well, like very few people do. But he is capable of making plays over there and of being a competent fill-in shortstop. So there's no problem with that. JP, is he one of the lineup advantages they can kind of work right now with the roster since he's one of the, I don't know, few right-handed bats? 
it in terms of advance i don't understand the question i apologize well their their ability to actually put a lineup that can hit lefties out there because again with a, a heavy left-handed lineup you know sure. they don't necessarily match up well against left-handed starters the cubs in particular are an issue when it comes to that because they do have a lot of left-handed starters they traded for scope that hasn't worked out yet and you have perez i mean are those guys basically like yeah people you know kind of grown when they're in the lineup but but they're a bit of a a weapon against facing lefties yeah i think so i also think uh people undersell how um maybe not good but competent mike moustakas has been against lefties this year um his numbers have actually been solid Shaw really struggled against lefties early. I don't know. I I haven't looked at his numbers in a while. Has he gotten a little better? He's when he has started against lefties lately, he has done well. He's hit some okay. home runs off of them. He's uh had some multi-hit games. So when he's gotten in against lefties lately, well, lately is lately is hard to just pencil in and say like, yeah, let's keep going with him. Sure, and I think they they still lean away from him. Obviously, he's not starting today. They're they're going with Mustakas over him today. Uh but uh, I think he is a guy you don't necessarily have to reflexively pull when they bring in a lefty you know what i mean that's sure so anyways thoughts on 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 scope and perez starting together i i don't have any issue with it i i still uh really like scope as a hitter and i assume that he'll come around um what do we do about scope because i mean he's had a really rough go of it since this trade write his yeah, name in I the mean, lineup every but day. i would say that I was going to say, Jesus Aguilar has struggled since the All-Star break, too, and nobody's, like, asking. I mean, there are people asking for him to be benched, but nobody's asking for him to, like, be traded or sent down to the minors, right? I mean, it's the the dislike for Jonathan Scope com- comes down to uh, frustration about not bringing in a starting pitcher, and yep. it, it comes down to frustration of not um, not liking some of the defensive chances that they are going Sure. He just he he represents a lot of frustrations for fans. I don't yeah. think it's actually about him as a player, um, and I think he should be given plenty of time. Yeah, but I mean, I I know you guys on the last pod were talking about the the lack of production at shortstop. You know, there was a five forty OPS on the season playing out of there, and I mean, currently Scope has a three fourteen OPS. Well, with you're not the gonna, Brewers, you should note that he does have he has gotten on base today as well. He has a hit. If you're going to talk about small samples, you should at least talk about the fact that he has gotten on base today. I don't think that counts because wasn't there a force? No, he, no, has a, he, he actually has a hit got a, a base walk. hit. As I well. just looked at it. Oh, it was a, a hit. hit. A okay. Yeah. Hitting a walk. So he's turning it around. Okay. So his on base percentage and his batting average do not match any longer. So that's progress. Yeah. I mean, he's never going to be a big walker. That's not going to be a thing. What we haven't seen from him yet is the tremendous power that he can bring. And, you know, in terms of being able to pop the ball out of the park. And I think we will see that. It's just a matter of time. I mean, is it just an all-around adjustment? He's both, you know, moving from Baltimore to Milwaukee. It didn't help that that first game he had to go from Baltimore to San Francisco and do a West Coast road trip. He's going from playing second base to playing shortstop. I mean, I guess how much leash do we give scope because he's gone through all these transitions before we say okay this is not working out they need to do something different well into the end of this month i mean you you write his name in the lineup as much as you were planning on it i mean so you're talking a couple weeks 
when rosters expand, if if they have to start cutting it back in September, they can start cutting it back in September. But I I don't think that you know like the the downside, like the worst case scenario, I think for him would be like guy who gets left off the postseason roster. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to get rid of him. He's not going to be sent out. You're not going to you know DFA him or something. Like he's the the downside here is he'll be potentially left off the postseason roster. You think that's a possibility? They make a trade like that and he gets left off? If he's that bad, if he continues to hit like this, like, yeah, they wouldn't put him on the postseason roster. But, JP, do you agree with that? I I don't. But I also that I think that's mostly because, right, the postseason roster is kind of a beast unto its own. It's not about, it's trying to maximize, you know, a short, a short sample of, of performance. So I can see what Ryan is trying to say, but the question is who would make the postseason roster in front of him? I don't know. Tyler Saladino. Yeah. Like, is that really what you'd be looking at? Yeah. It so would be for me. Like I think, yeah, I think that scope is, is pretty well penciled in, um, in terms of the length of leash that I would give, uh, scope, it would be, uh, incredibly long. Um, because again, your options are Aaron Perez, who's been hitting the ball well as of late, but we have quite a bit of sample to say that he has question marks offensively. Um, Orlando Arcia at shortstop, which again, he still has questions. Uh, with he's been bat. hitting a little bit lately, though. That's absolutely, nice but, but yeah, I but mean, he still again, looks lost like, too. I was gonna say, but again, like, I'm not. And and I understand that you all are kind of with me here, but I'm I'm not interested in making a decision for him over the next month and a half based on who's been hitting well for two weeks. Like, right, but when we're talking about postseason rosters, you're talking about short samples. Right, but he's so, but yeah. the question was how big of a leash do we give him going into September? Right. Oh, he yeah. I think you keep penciling him in for a good long while here. Yeah. So okay. Hold on. I'm gonna move on. One quick thing. It is nice to see Mike Mustakis, even though it wasn't technically at the deadline. You know, I know a lot of people were focused on like it had to be a deal on like the 31st by like three o'clock or whatever it was. Mike Mustakis is hitting 286, 321, 490 with the Brewers, which is basically Mike Mustakis. Right, he's hitting for power, which is what they got him for. Yep, he's to doing play, exactly. Hit for power and play some really damn fantastic defense. Yeah. Like, that was an underrated part. I knew he was had the capability to make good defensive plays. He looks not like a guy who would make a lot of great defensive plays, but he actually does. He came up with the rep as a good defensive third baseman. Well, or I mean, he was, he, was a, he was a shortstop in high school. and moved, They were all shortstops. Moved late. Well, sure. But, I, like... He, yeah, he is a, a, a very good defensive third baseman. Also point being, you know, with sorry on the DL scope, not working out to this point, people like to say it was a dud of a trade deadline. They did fine. Oh yeah. And the final word on these things has not been written yet. So. No, not at all. So, um, I do want to get a Patreon question. This is from Jeremy Reese in Escanaba, Michigan. I think that's in the UP. The UP. The Upers. You were you were in that general vicinity. Also, I'm pretty sure you said Jeremy Reese is uh, in third place. Was Jeremy on there? I believe so. I'd have to go back and check. I don't have that. Hold on. I was gonna say whether or not he is, I can just say he was, and we can give him a bunch of credit for it. We only have second place, so yeah, we'll I don't say, have it on my. We'll say Jeremy's in third. 
since we don't have third place on here. So Jeremy Jeremy Reese currently in third place in our pick'em or uh, prop bet uh, contest. So uh, with minor league with the minor league season winding down, who are you looking forward to seeing either back in the majors or a first time call up with the expanded rosters? Ryan, do you have a preference who you want to see? I don't know first time call up if there, we're going to see that or who who you'll see again. Uh, I'm very, yeah, I'm very interested to see Woodruff again. That's top of the list. Woodruff has kind of been up. Yeah, he's been off and on. I I want to see him get. I think they send Woodruff. I think they send Woodruff to Colorado Springs, but they don't give him a ticket, so he's just got to wait at the airport. Like, uh, was that Tom Hanks movie? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, What was that called? I don't know. The airport. I think it was called the airport. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds good enough. So, uh, JP, you got anybody you want to see? The human postseason roster, Quentin Berry. Oh yeah, let's go. Bring him, bring him up. I want to, I want to see Quentin Berry like steal twelve bases in a month. There you I think go. That'd be a lot of fun. That could be interesting when you get into it and you need those pinch runners, right? Yeah, I mean that's always a thing. That's the and fun. Actually, that's the fun of expanded rosters. You know who I'm going to really, hopefully. Look forward. God, Jesus well. Aguilar turns into like a total softball player at that point. Like, oh, pinch runner, he got on first. Let's bring in the guy who well, can actually run. Domingo Santana. It'll be good to see him back because he's been on a bit of a power binge lately in AAA, which is what we were waiting for. That's what we needed to see from Domingo because if he's not hitting for power, there's not much there. Well, do we think Domingo is going to get a real shot? Because I, I don't think well, anybody looks back, at. He will be back up. Whether yeah, or not, how much he gets into the lineup will depend on. Wasn't what that else part is of the problem on. initially? I mean, that could be your situation in which you start to see kind of your your roster optimized against lefties, right? Yeah. Again, it's it's an audio medium, Ryan, so nodding doesn't really do it. I said yes. <laughs> Eventually, once you saw my eyes get wide, I think so. Um, yeah. So they'll have some I, – I just figured bring up all the guys who can pitch out of the bullpen, and then basically we can do – I think the, the, the Peralta-Woodruff piggyback thing will be interesting in September if they can do that. Or some sort of piggybacking. Hauser could work his way into one of those as well. But I think Woodruff is the guy we've been waiting to see get a chance. Yeah. Like I'm, he I'm could waiting. get a legitimate chance. So you send Peralta out. Peralta gets in any kind of trouble early on. You bring Woodruff in. And maybe I wanna, be that guy. I want to see them like bullpen a few games just to like make people mad. Oh, they will bullpen games like crazy in September. Craig Council hey. did that last. Remember last year? He did that all September last year. I mean, they're going to have like 20 relievers. As long as. And some guys who can go like two innings at a chunk, too. As long as the pitching changes happen at the end of an inning, I'm fine with it. I don't care who pitches. Oh, no. It'll be. Thing. He's going to Tony LaRusso the shit out he's, of that. He's going to be Joe Madden. Roster. Oh, we saw gonna, some Madden work. We saw some Madden, but LaRusse is the classic example. Well, LaRusse is a classic example, but it was a stark contrast when the Brewers played the Cubs earlier in the season, and we were, I think, peak Brewer bullpenning. Yes. So you had the Brewers, everybody was going you know, over an inning pitching, and then you had Madden coming out basically with every batter. But Madden, Madden I think, so like LaRusse is kind of the over – is is the like platonic ideal of what we're talking about in terms of like over managing the bullpen but joe madden still like remember when he put brian dunsing out left field 
yeah, just, how did they had another lefty coming up and they wanted to move they wanted to move him back to, to Yeah, they didn't they didn't uh, want to take him out, so they moved him to left field and then they had somebody come in, pitch, and then they did a double switch after that. Is that how it worked? Yeah. Am yeah. I yeah, yeah, yeah. am I hallucinating? Why is yes. Shasin batting in the fifth inning of this game? Be- Julius Chassin because, is uh, at bat. I don't know. I'm trying to host a show right now. No, but like why would Julius Chassin this is going to be a topic of conversation. Why is he randomly getting an at bat in the fifth inning of a of a game where the Brewers are leading by one, and he's not I the mean, starter? Chase Anderson started my, this game. I would say my recommendation is they're probably uh, lacking right-handers off the bench and don't want to waste a lefty now. Uh, yeah, I don't there's know. There's a right-handed. There's a right-handed bat in the or there's a right-handed pitcher on the mound right now. I don't, I don't know. know. Okay. I'm not watching. We're gonna keep. We're gonna keep going. Uh, speaking as a Sunday plus season, Sunday plus seat holder since 2008. Why do the Brewers hate Sunday fans? And that's from Laura Hemming on Twitter. Sorry, could you read that again? No, no. I um, think I think Laura did that on purpose. I'm sure <laughs> no, she I did. Think, I I don't know. It's been a it's been a rough go for for day games, right? I mean, for the longest time, we heard that the Brewers like explicitly took advantage of the shadows to give themselves more of an advantage on Sunday day games in Miller Park. And you're, now suddenly it, you're like, overthinking this, it, right? You're, you're overthinking this. They sent down Domingo Santana. Oh, you're right. And Domingo always showed up on Sundays. That's a fair point. 2017 Domingo do Domingos. The, I yeah, mean, maybe do they need the, like the bile color jerseys again? Bile. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, do they, do we Everybody need, loves because those. It, yeah, maybe we need to be able to get that back out. Like, do you remember that was like the bile color jerseys? I'm pretty sure that was like what Matt Garza chose every single time he started. It's like that's what he liked. He's like, this is how you feel, so this is what I'll wear. <laughs> <laughs> well, you broke Breen. <laughs> so, anyways, hey Ryan, do you want to do the uh, ranking of beers since you had the uh, beer festival yesterday? Oh yeah, that was on there, wasn't it? Okay, we had IPA, Stout, Saison, Lagers, Barley Wine, Black IPA, which I, I was told is different than an IPA. Where is this question? Uh, Paul Noonan sent it in right off. It's of not our, on the rundown. That's where I was. Looking. No, I did. It's not on the rundown. Okay, uh, um, Barley Wine, Black IPA, Bach, and Shandy. Okay, so first because off, apparently barley a porter, wine, a porter are not stouts. Apparently porters and stouts. A porter is a stout. I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. It's one of those port- all porters are stouts, but not all stouts are porters. I don't know. It's one of those. Yeah. Um, okay. So definitely barley wine is at the bottom of the list. I do not like barley wines. Never have. It's never been a thing. Um, Ryan prefers his meads. Yeah. So we're that's and then shandies. I mean, just nah, not not a thing for me. So that that would go towards the bottom. Um Box. I've never been a huge Bach guy, so I'll put that next. Loggers would come in at that point, and then as you're getting towards the top, let's go. You know, saisons are great, stouts are great, IPAs are great. I do really like some black IPAs, so those would be the ones towards the top. And any that stood out yesterday at the Great Taste? Man, I'd have, or to are you, my, I'd have to look or, at my app. Or were you too drunk to remember what, uh, what I, you had? I put them in my app, and I don't remember. They they have a wonderful app at that There's thing. a digital tra- Well, you have to have a digital trail because it's the only way to keep track of what you did. 
Well, no, it's just when you have like JP. What do you think? Ryan like, wandering around a, fest- a beer festival like that would probably look like one of those uh, family circus uh, comics on Sundays in the papers. Okay, yeah. Look, uh, he he made sure that he had pretzels. I'm sure he was just fine. And I we had we had rules. There was water to be drank every <laughs> third rules. beer, and yeah, no, we 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 had rules, and we took breaks, and like yeah, we were very responsible. When we walked home, so like. We no, good. you didn't you walk all the way home. Way home. I walked. Yes. Well, it was we walked like four miles and then took a, a lift for the last three. But whatever, <laughs> it was fair walking four miles. That, <laughs> that more than what most people did yesterday. That poor driver that probably figured, oh, I'm away from that stupid beer festival. I'm not getting a couple of drunks, and then all of a sudden you Dude, two, the you surge, and Jay jump jump in. The surge pricing was nuts. <laughs> I'm no, sure. I so one time. Uh, near the university here for the football game. Uh, I tried to get an Uber to go to the airport. The surge charge was 12 times the amount. It was going to be $120 to get to the airport. And I said, yeah, you know what? I'd walk before I did that. Holy crap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they the surge pricing. Well, don't you remember that story about some person who got drunk at Summerfest and took a, 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 a lift back to Oconomowoc or something and like got like a $1,200 bill or some craziness? Sure, I'm sure it happened. Um, no, I, I don't remember that. Whatever, they're in a kind of walk; they can afford it. So, um, anyway, anyway, yes. No, I, no, no. Hold on. No, I was specifically quickly looking at because you were giving me crap about it. Um, the Dark Lord from Three Floyds stood out. That was really, really good, and it wasn't the regular Dark Lord. I can't remember exactly what the variation was, but it was very vanilla and coconutty, and that was fantastic. The Dark Lord. The Dark Lord. Okay. Yes. That was that was really good from that Three was, Floyds. That was your favorite. Okay. Yes. So there does you Satan, go. Does Satan like coconuts? Is that a thing? Like I just didn't know. The Dark Lord. I was thinking of uh, Voldemort. Oh, Voldemort. Yeah, <laughs> Voldemort is very white and pale. So he is white and pale. Yeah. And doesn't have like uh, a nose really. He doesn't. But He's got a snake nose. I was gonna say he milks that snake, so that's probably where they got that from. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It's true. It's a thing in the book. There's milking Nagini. So, um, anyways, and yes, I've read other books. So don't tell me to read another book. Anyways, that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, I have not read any other books, by the way. So all of my references JP, come from every. every <laughs> as soon as you brought up books, you get JP back into his. Oh my God! All these books I have to read. Every history book he reads is actually Harry I, Potter. <laughs> I was gonna say I, I was gonna say I almost uh, I almost took a picture of my I've got like huge stacks of books from the library for like ones that I've gone through. I almost took a picture of it to send you guys when you guys were like, "Are you guys ready?" And I was gonna be like, "I'm stuck behind all of these." <laughs> They've collapsed in on him. <laughs> send help. He says he's uh, studying the rise of the clan in the earliest early 20th century but it's really all of Voldemort's followers. <laughs> what, I mean, look, the entire thing the yeah, entire he's just thing reading about Voldemort Harry Potter. is basic, the entire thing about uh Voldemort is basically an allusion to the Nazis and the clan anyway. Yeah, exactly. So it all it all works out. That's so that's how JP is getting his PhD at Notre Dame. Congratulations, students. That's what you're learning about. So anyways, that's going to do it for this week's show. You can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash mketailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter at mketailgate. And you can submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and in the Google Play Store. You can leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.